Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. We live in a world of fees. Airlines, hotels, food delivery, and especially car dealers all charge excessive last-minute fees. When you want something badly enough, it feels like your only choice is to pay up. But what if you had a choice to take a stand instead? At Carvana, we believe in treating you better. With zero hidden fees, you can drive off without feeling ripped off. That's what it means to live fearlessly with Carvana. Stelio Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Babo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Yeah, it's another Saturday here on Collider. Man, wait a minute. It's another Sunday here on Collider Mailbag. I get my days mixed up all the time on the weekend. I am super happy to welcome back to the program. Welcome back. To the show. I don't know if she's been on while I hosted. I think it's the first time you might be on while I've officially become the yeah, host. Is that correct? Correct. Awesome. Well, this is the lovely Haley Fouch. Hello. You, you've read her stuff on the dot com. She's so intelligent. She's been on Movie Talk a number of times. We always have fun sparring with each other when I <laughs> Asked her to come on. She said, "What's better than a little light sparring in the morning?" That's so right. we're gonna have a little fun. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Well, you know how this works. We're gonna answer. We're gonna answer some questions from you all, the fans. You guys uh, sent these in. We put the callouts on social media, on uh, Instagram and on Twitter. Put that hashtag Collider Mailbag. When you send your responses in, put that hashtag on there so I can find it easier. Also, a lot of you have sent these on email, which I really appreciate. And I get it. Sometimes you don't like social media. You just want to email. Do that. Mailbag at Collider.com, and you don't even have to put the hashtag. I can find it just fine if you do it that way. All right, let's get into it because we've got some great questions today. Our first one comes from Twitter, and it's uh, Carter Anderson. He asks, uh, hashtag Collider Mailbag, what two actors and actresses need to make more films together? Personally, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are just so brilliant on screen, and also can't forget Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Well, 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 Haley, what's your answer to this one? Those are excellent picks, yes, especially they are. Gosling and Stone. They have such wonderful chemistry. Mm. I'm a really big fan of whenever Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke are in something together. Oh. I love the Before trilogy, and they're usually together with Linklater involved. Mm-hmm. So, which I'm open to that. More Linklater, please. Mm-hmm. But I would also love to see them work together with another filmmaker, mm-hmm. do something outside of their box a little bit. Honestly, I don't care. Stay in your box. Just work together more. <laughs> <laughs> they have amazing chemistry. Um, so that's probably my top pick. Okay. All right. I- I'll throw in um, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Oh, yeah. oh, I mean, that's a standard thing, but we haven't really seen great movies from Amy Poehler, uh, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. So I would like that. Baby Mama is very funny, but 
Ah, sisters just didn't do it for me, so I'd like to see them go back to the well a little bit and make some great work. Because we've seen her, them host shows, and it's very funny. But for whatever reason, we haven't seen them like come together and create these great comedies. You saw like Will Ferrell and John C. Riley do. I would like to see them create a track record like that, where people could be duped into going to see Holmes and Watson because <laughs> they've seen these other things from them before. I also would throw in Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. I think they are they laid the groundwork for themselves in the '90s, but we rarely see them work together uh, in films since that time. Unless you count those Jimmy Kimmel appearances, <laughs> they rarely work together. And uh, I just think they need to come back in some way because they've all they both built their incredible careers. Out outside of films with each other. So why not come back together again down the road? I I think that's a great idea. I mean, it's interesting, too, because their careers haven't really gone down super different paths. Like, they still could be in the same projects together. Right, right. Um, They just, I don't know why are they... Do they have beef that we don't know about? No, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I was at the, uh, and this is at Living in L.A., I was at uh, some place over there in Brentwood, and Matt Damon came out with, let me tell you something, when you see stars, oh. they have this look to them and the size to them that you don't anticipate. Damon is a big dude in person. I thought he had a small face in you, person. You think you think so, but then you see him, he's got these like shoulders and whatever. Maybe he was training for a role that he's Maybe. going to do, but he looked jacked, and I was very surprised by it. It's not some dude coming. I didn't make a mistake, and it's not him. <laughs> it was him. And I, it's just interesting to see that. So, yeah, if they could work together down the road, maybe on a superhero film, who knows? Yeah, why not? not? Maybe Affleck puts away Daredevil, puts away Batman, and then comes back to something with his friend. And maybe he directs. Damon in a superhero. We haven't seen Damon in a superhero thing, so... Do you think he would do another superhero movie after all this that he's been through? Let me tell you something. It's Ben Affleck. Yeah. Right? It's, not, it's not some, you know, independent movie actor who, to, who dabbled. No. This is a guy who's a movie star. If there's another potential down the road for him to go into a superhero movie, maybe an older superhero, explore that with a great script that he directs, I think it's certainly possible. But we'll see. All right. Yeah. TBD, guys. <laughs> TBD. All right. What we got next? Next up, we are taking a question from Mr. Ryan Redman, who (laughs) says, Roka and fellow writer, what if the Joker movie sets up Matt Reeves' The Batman? Keep up the great work. Signed, Julius Pepperwood. I'm Julius Pepperwood. I'm from Chicago. My favorite. Thank you for referencing New Girl. Bless you. (laughs) Back to the question. I mean, uh, what if the Joker? This is a great question. I'm glad uh, that this is one of the ones that excited Haley to answer. What if the Joker movie said, no one's talking about this until the trailer came out. The trailer Mm -hmm. set back in the 70s, right? Uh, 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 Matt Reeves said he's going for a younger Batman. What does that mean? Could he change the time of Batman to another time in the 70s or 80s? Does the Joker kill Batman's parents randomly? Because Thomas Wayne is in the movie does the joker be like they did in the 1989 batman which isn't the the original story in the comics is uh a joker from that movie going to kill thomas wayne and martha wayne and then birth uh, uh bruce wayne as the batman certainly possible and it would be a hell of a swerve do i think it's gonna happen probably not, probably not. but it's for a geek and a nerd and a, who's a fan of this stuff it's awesome to think about yeah, it's it's an interesting concept, and I wouldn't be opposed to it. We talked about it a little bit on Movie Talk mm-hmm. uh, a couple of days ago with Jay. It's it's an interesting idea. My only sort of reticence about it or mm-hmm. hesitation is that 
at the moment, I'm really enjoying that DC is leaning away from connectivity. Right. And I think that's why we're getting such a fabulous string of films where each filmmaker really gets to pursue their vision individually. So I I want Matt Reeves to fully pursue his vision without mm-hmm. being tethered to anything that the Joker has done. Right. And I, I get the sense that that is what's happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that's my only sort of like, oh, I don't know, just because... It's you get a filmmaker like Matt Reeves on Batman mm-hmm. doing at least he keeps saying a detective story. Mm-hmm. I don't want Todd Phillips' vision in that. You know what I mean? Right. But I'm open to it as just like a a small tie-in that maybe doesn't dictate the style or substance of Reeves' film. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting because you have Wonder Woman '84 being in the '80s. Yeah. This Joker movie set in the '70s, and Batman's like, "What?" There's all kinds of games you can play in your mind about the possibilities. Because God forbid that, like five years down the road, we have another Justice League movie with this newer version of all these characters, and Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker is the main nemesis mm-hmm. of the movie. That would be insane. But yeah. I get what you're saying, Haley. You don't want to. You, you like that they're only like making the connections at a cursory level when mm-hmm. you're watching these movies, not necessarily an overt level like they do with the MCU, until they get everybody squared away and set everything up, and then maybe they'll start interconnecting as they go down the road. But yeah, we'll see. But it's pretty fun to think about. I, it is fun to think about, and I think the sense that I'm getting from like the very minimal insider mm-hmm. information I have is that they are taking more of a comic booky approach to it, which is like anything kind of goes. Mm-hmm. A new author can come in and write a new story, and you don't have to necessarily justify the continuity or anything mm-hmm. like that. You can just make your movie and then go, that's done. Now what about this version of the same story if we right. want to? Right. That's the sense that I'm picking up is that they're playing very fast and loose now. So you could have an interconnected part, and then maybe in the next movie they're like, ah, forget about it. Now it's a new thing. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Gives them a little bit of freedom. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one. It's an email from Omar94. They write, Hi, guys. Huge fan since AMC from Tallahassee, Florida. FSU alumni here, Roca, with CinemaCon showing footage from new movies. I got thinking, are there movies that never made you, that never got made you wished would have been? For me, I would have loved to have seen Brian K. Vaughn's Roundtable script as a film. It's Ghostbusters meets King Arthur and Francis Ford Coppola's film project, Megalopolis, a Cecil B. DeMille-sized epic, Get Made. What about you guys? Thanks, and have a nice day. Mm-hmm. Mm. What a fun question. Omar seems to slide some really good questions by me. It's not just because right he's an alum. It's just because they're good questions. So I throw <laughs> them in. I, you know, uh, my, the panelists always pick the ones they like. So uh, Omar seems to sneak in every once in a while. Way to go. <laughs> Keep it up. Uh, no, this is a really fun one because there are so many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you could go down an internet rabbit hole for hours looking at unmade mm-hmm. film projects. Per genre. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say that even I think there's a documentary that I can't remember the name of right now, but mm-hmm. it, it was all about horror movies that never got made. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a fascinating subject. Yeah. I do have some personal favorites. One of them is like... The most common thing you will hear from a horror person, mm-hmm. which is Guillermo del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness. Why? <laughs> Why do you do this to us? Uh, that would have been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, forget genres. Just look at Guillermo's movies that never got made, and you could spend hours yeah. on it. That man has had so many projects in development over the years. Uh, but that is the one that, that rankles the most for mm-hmm. me. Just trying for my brain... 
which is nowhere near as cool as Guillermo's brain, to try to imagine what he would come up with out of Lovecraftian horror and mm-hmm. mythology. Oh, it hurts. It hurts <laughs> my soul. And that's, that's my number one, and I'll mm-hmm. never get over it. But there's also, um, I, in this house, we love and respect Lynn Ramsey as a queen. I uh, adore yeah. her films. Mm-hmm. She was eyeing the lovely bones for a bit before Mm. it got the unfortunate version that we ended up with and if you you know if you know anything about lynn ramsey's film she's a very visceral uh, emotional Mm. kind of brutal filmmaker with gorgeous imagery in a very different way than what we got from peter jackson's sort of like fantastical imagery hers is is mm-hmm. dark. <laughs> yeah, well, you were dark. never really her. Is here? Is, is yes. her right? Is Lynn Ramsey? You That's remember? her. And also, yeah. we need to talk about Kevin. Oh, right, Ratcatcher. Mm-hmm. She's phenomenal. And so that, I mean, that particular story—the story of a, a, a murdered girl mm-hmm. seeking her own vengeance through the eye of Lynn Ramsey. Yeah, Ooh, that would have been a killer. And then mm-hmm. one last one because it's just the weirdest little fascination. Okay, uh, Nick Cave. At okay. one point, was going to make seeds. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to make a Gladiator sequel. What? Yeah, Nick. Cave? That was a thing that was like talked about and developed. Not not like super developed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like it was it was a real hmm. possibility at one point. Wow. Of course, now Ridley is supposedly uh, one of his forty-seven projects in development sure. is a Gladiator sequel. Yeah. So so Nick Cave, you lost your shot. <laughs> But uh, that would have been fascinating. Interesting. Last time I heard Nick Cave around anything was the proposition, that Western. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember enjoying the shit out of that, but I didn't know he had uh, inclinations to do something like that. Because that's an epic It's huge. You can't be doing that in a small scale if you're doing a Gladiator sequel. I could see you doing a prequel, possibly, as a more character study, but a sequel. That's a whole other ballgame. Because he died. I don't I know. know what the sequel would be about. <laughs> Maybe know. the sun or something? I don't know. That's one of the weirdest ones I ever read, though. It's <laughs> like <laughs> so the Titanic sequel. I've heard that before, too. Oh, boy. Um, Stanley, I, I would throw Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon in this mix. Right. And, uh, you know, you've heard the other one. Look, the Tarantino Vega brothers would have been fantastic. They mm-hmm. couldn't make that work. And, of course, George Miller Justice League. People have talked about that ad nauseum. But I like the idea of a Napoleon directed by Stanley Kubrick. You know, the last two films I, I, always, th- I always feel are a bit bit uneven from Stanley, but you look at the stuff from the late 60s, 70s, it's incredible work. It's masterpieces, you could argue, and to see him tackling a Napoleon before he passed on as, as a director would have been fantastic if he'd found the right person, as long as it wasn't Danny DeVito. No offense to Danny DeVito, that's just too easy of a casting <laughs> decision. It would have been interesting to see what he would have created, and you know it would have been a three-hour epic. Mm-hmm. My God, if you did three hours of Barry Lyndon, you can do three hours of freaking Napoleon. Um, there were rumors about Quentin doing a Kill Bill Volume 3. That's so good, I later. wish I thought of that one. Yeah, That's I mean, so I, when I read that, I was like, what? This is real. And it's supposed to be like 10 years later, and it's the daughter, and it was going to be all this kind of stuff, and how they would go at it, and, and where it would end up. And that would still be fun to explore. Of course, with everything that's happened, maybe in the last couple of years, those articles that Uma talked about, the uh, ter- the kind of the dangerous experiences she had with Quentin, maybe that probably will never happen. But it, that's a shame. That's a shame because they that is that series, is that, those two films, which is really one film, one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino films, 
films. Mm. And because I'm a cheesy action idiot, I would throw in The Crusades that Paul Verhoeven was going to direct starring Arnold Schwarzenegger just to have Schwarzenegger quipping all over the Middle Ages about religion and about, you know, going through the Crusades and with Richard the Lionheart and all that jazz. That would have been insane in my brain to see. I haven't heard about this one, but yeah. I, I follow Verhoeven pretty much wherever he goes. Sometimes oh. you, you wish you wouldn't have, but uh, <laughs> sure. I, I love more of his films that I don't. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Haley, interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We're all learning right. all respect. kinds of things about each other respect, today. Respect, respect. All right. <laughs> What's our next one? Our next one comes from Mr. Brad Anderson, who says, hey, Collider and crew. Hey, Brad. Uh, my question is, what is the most underappreciated film slash film that you can't recommend enough. Mine personally is Baby Driver or Hail Caesar. Nice with the Hail Caesar. <laughs> Would love to hear your thoughts. Stay. Thanks for the epic content. Stay sweaty. Carter the Anderson. I like Carter the Anderson. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh well, um, I have four choices, and I may be boring with my choices, but hey, <laughs> I'm, I'm a cinephile, so I see a lot of things. Zodiac is number one. I know amongst us who love film, we talk about it, but I know in the general public, people don't talk about Zodiac anywhere near as much as they talk about uh, Fincher's other work, like Seven and what have you. This film is like crack to a cinephile oh or God. a person who loves script or story or a film that or or murder mysteries because it's just incredible what he does with this story that's been told it hasn't been like told a lot but it's been told before in incredible ways and to see what he did with it and the performances he gets out of Jake Gyllenhaal a pre Iron Man Downey Jr. I think mm-hmm. Anthony Edwards uh, Mark Ruffalo uh, so many people involved in this thing and as they're exploring it what gets involved uh philip baker hall oh no, no wait uh i forget john carroll lynch john yes. carroll lynch is incredible as the person who might be the zodiac killer spartan is another one from mammoth uh that he directed and wrote people don't talk about this film enough mm-hmm. val kilmer is the lead in this film it's probably the last gasp of val kilmer as a viable lead in hollywood if you haven't seen this and before mammoth goes off the rails with his uh, beliefs about acting and whatever but <laughs> you see this film and it's a really well done film about him, uh, val kilmer is a guy who's brought in by the government because the president's daughter has been stolen and he has to go retrieve the daughter it's Kristen bell and he has to go retrieve it and go through all these things to get there and it's pretty brutal and in, uh, in some of the moments and i'm really surprised how good that is quiz show is another one robert redford directed quiz show didn't do that well in the box office but very beloved by people who watch these kinds of movies uh, ray fines john torturo really incredible in their back and forth you get a fine performance from martin scorsese hank azaria is hilarious in this whole thing uh, all around and mira sorvino's in it so all around it's about the you know Know, the, the, this idea, the real true story about a guy who lied, a rich guy who who lied uh, to become famous so that he could be on this, he could be successful in this quiz show because he felt he wasn't successful in his own life compared to his parents. He was working out his stuff on the grand stage and how he got away with it because he was a good looking dude. Um, and then Searching for Bobby Fischer is another one that people don't talk about enough. I think fantastic Chicago movie as well. Joan Allen, Joe Mantegna, uh, so many, William H. Macy's in this thing. So many people about this true story about this kid who became a chess champion at a young age and of how he changed the perception of how to become a chess champion and tried to bring in more of a humanist point of view to this incredibly intense competition. Oh, and Sir Ben Kingsley is great in that as well. So there we go, four of them. There's a lot of Chicago energy in this show oh, today. Oh, yeah, huh? I wonder yeah, why. 
right. Yeah. Uh, great picks. Uh, we're on the same page today. Zodiac is my favorite Fincher. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I I'm obsessed. Never argue that. Obsessed with that movie. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro said in a tweet, and I think it's such a perfect way to put it, he called it a one-sock movie because if you start putting on your socks and you see it on TV, you're going to watch the whole thing until you get the second <laughs> one on. <laughs> That's a great way to Isn't present it. Isn't that perfect? It. That is perfect. Yeah, Truth. <laughs> um, I, this is hard for me because there are so many, oh, that, sure. like an endless list, especially being a genre enthusiast. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to not do just horror. Oh. Um, right. <laughs> so my first one is actually one of my favorite movies of all time that I have watched endlessly and that I just don't find is is as loved as it should be. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, gross point blank. With, oh, yeah. Yes. John Cusack and Minnie Driver. Mm-hmm. John Cusack plays an assassin who, who's going through a bit of a <laughs> life crisis about his job. Yes. And uh, at the same time as he gets gets what he would ideally like to be his final job he mm-hmm. also gets an invite to his high school reunion reconnects with the love of his life that he left to go join the army right and it is a funny really great action in there some killer fight scenes uh perfect wonderful throwback soundtrack to mm-hmm. the 80s because mm-hmm. it's they're they're reuniting the class of 86 and she's a radio dj it's just a very cool hip kind of film and Cusack's, Cusack's really never been better in my opinion in that kind of Agreed. role uh, and his chemistry with Minnie Driver. Yeah. That, talk about two people who should work together that's again. That's a great point. Yeah. They were excellent together so that that's I adore that film. Another one that has similar issue vibes uh, you know mid 90s mm. kind of cool vibe radios and stuff. Oh. Uh, pump up the volume with Christian Slater. Yeah, that's a, a and Samantha one. Mathis, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. I don't love that as much, but it's just something that it never ever comes up in conversation. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And it's it's a super enjoyable teen film. Uh, my next two are going to be true to brand horror <laughs> okay. films: uh, The Vanishing or Spurlus. The original? Yes. <sighs> That movie will mess you up. It will mess you up. That is one of the best films Mm. about obsession and grief that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It's about a man who he's with his girlfriend on the road. They stop at a gas station and she just goes missing and he has no idea what happened to her. But then her captor sort of starts to play with him and uh, the the boyfriend never gets over her disappearance. Mm -hmm. And it has uh, one of the most just like stick-in-your-soul endings I've ever seen. I love that movie. Do not watch the remake. Watch the original. Do not watch the remake. <laughs> yeah. I would compare that and that twist in the movie at the to the old boy twist. It is mm, that. Mm-hmm. It will leave you like this. It's not the same twist, but no. it will leave you... It will leave you destroyed when you see the twist. Yeah. It, that's... I'm so happy you've seen it. It's yeah. such a oh phenomenal film. Please. Oh, love it. Makes me so happy when people have seen it. <laughs> Thank you, IFC. Yeah, really. <laughs> that's what I thought. Lost all those. And my final one is a tip of the hat to Mr. Don Coscarelli. Phantasm just had its 40th, but my favorite of his is Bubba Hotep, which is the funniest yes. thing ever. We got Mr. Bruce Campbell mm-hmm. as an old man who may or may not be Elvis. <laughs> Definitely thinks he's Elvis. I think he's Elvis. You have Ozzy Davis yep. somehow 
As an old man who believes that he's JFK? Yep, they took out his brain and put it in. They took JFK's brain yeah. out after the assassination and put it in an old black man in Ozzie Davis. That's right. And he's been thinking he's JFK the whole time. They replaced my brain with a bag of sand. They put sand in there, man. <laughs> it's so good, so funny, so <laughs> silly. Anyway, these are two people who believe that they are other people who f- fight a, a freaking mummy that comes to suck the souls out of senior citizens. It's the weirdest movie. It's the funniest movie. I yeah. cannot ever get over it. I watch it all the time. It's the best. We had. I, I remember seeing it at a, like an 8 o'clock showing, opening weekend, because I used to go love to go to see these smaller films that nobody would champion or go see. And we saw it in West L.A., and I walked out of this thing going, this is incredible. For years, Campbell talked about doing a sequel to it. Mm-hmm. And when he was here for Collider in our old studios, I asked him about it one day. I was like, the only thing I wanted to ask him was, like, yeah, there's a million things you do, everybody loves Evil Dead, blah, blah, blah. But I need to know what happened with that sequel. And he just told me, he said, we had a great script. It was about the money. And then the studio, then the studio changed, uh, I think, ownership or changed heads. And nobody wanted to do it after that. And it just kind of went away. And I was like, damn. They were going to fight vampires, Yeah, they were going to fight vampires. Dang it, studios. Always ruining everything. <laughs> Look, a ham sandwich, man. Yeah. Uh, Put that right. on our previous list, too. We're yep. getting a lot of throwback answers to our former questions. Oh, good point. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Put those two together again, <laughs> yeah. definitely. All right, our last question comes from is an email from Jason Georges. He asks, hey, mailbag team. I was talking with a friend of mine about some of your some of our favorite horror movies, and we realized we had a fundamental disagreement about what makes a great horror film. To me, anything within the horror genre that is in and of itself a good movie, regardless of how scary it is, is a good horror movie. She felt that a good horror movie must be scary, and that any movie that isn't scary, no matter how good the plot or character work is, cannot be considered a great horror film. Where do you come down on this divide? Do you have any examples of horror films you believe to be great, but that aren't full of scares? I love this channel and can't wait to hear your thoughts. Haley. As one of the co-hosts of Collider Witching Hour, please. Yes. This is something I'm very passionate about. (laughs) Uh, It kind of falls in line with this whole annoying online conversation about uh, prestige horror or Mm -hmm. what is it? Elevated horror. Oh, elevated horror. Um, I I am with you, Jason. I prefer that we don't look at our genre labels so strictly. And I think that it leads to a lot of sort of pointless conversations that just run in circles Mm. over and over and over again. Like, to me, horror can be any variety of films. You have psychological horror, which it doesn't scare you as much in the theater, but maybe The Vanishing sticks with you afterwards. Great point. You have visceral horror that makes you jump in your seats. You have bloody horror that just makes your stomach turn. They're all viable. They're all valid. And there are movies that I would make arguments for that are like horror movies even though they're not mm. what, like my classic example is Jesus Camp that is a terrifying oh documentary yeah, it but is. it's not a horror film but it is right um so i i find the more we focus on labeling genre the less interesting the conversation gets mm-hmm. we're no longer talking about you know sort of the film itself we're talking about our constructs of what we believe about film. Right. I, I find the conversation more interesting than when you just focus on the qualities of the film. You take, you ask for an example of something that's not full of scares, but is a horror movie. That is so variable from person to person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hereditary effed me up, genuinely knocked me back, had a rough time getting over that film. Mm. Some people didn't get anything out of it. Right. I don't get scared by The Exorcist, which is. Considered the scariest movie of all time. Mm. Likewise, I get nothing out of Poltergeist. 
a lot of people think that's one of the scarier films. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's so variable from person to person, and that's why I don't think there's any value in putting your beliefs about genre onto the conversation above the films themselves, because we will never agree on what's scary. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's the great point you make. We will never agree on what's scary and what kind of makes your genre move out of being just a niche genre is the fact that it can be expansive and have so many mm. different variables within it with which you can define horror for yourself. For me, all the things you listed, absolutely horror films scare me in different ways. Uh, but I would also throw in something like Gone Girl. Gone Girl is a human mm. horror because he cannot find his way out of this situation to the and in the end comes to terms with it and stays and that is a horror within itself because your life is now a horror forever it is it is the worst thing that could ever happen to you to be in a situation where you just give up and you just your entire free will is over for the rest of your life psychopath forever forever it's the horror that it's horror like so deep in the bones (laughs) right but there's not a lot of jump scares not a lot of you just you just your mind goes insane knowing that this is a person that will do anything to achieve what that person wants no matter what the cost to herself and that's scary as hell so uh there are look something like the burning bed the Farrah Fawcett movie, that can be a horror movie for someone who's experienced being abused mm-hmm. in a, physically in a relationship. So it all depends on what you bring to the film. And as Haley said with Hereditary, it messed her up because it hit whatever buttons are inside for her personally. And yeah. that's what marks, I think, a good horror film irrelevant of scares or blood or gore. It's about are you shaken afterwards from your experience? Yeah, and that's it's- horror. Fincher dances mm. on this line a lot. Oh, sure. Seven could be considered a absolutely. horror like crazy. Even I was, I was kind of debating this with someone, Mindhunter. They were like, that's absolutely not a horror series. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's a matter of opinion. Yeah. There's a lot that psychologically freaked me out in that show. Oh, yeah. There are scenes with some of those serial killers where you're sitting there going, this these actors are doing such a great job that I forget that they're acting and this person actually existed. Yeah. And that's right. scary Ooh. as hell. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. So so there you go. So horror is up is whatever you think it is, and that's the way I think it both of us think it always should be. So all right, well, thanks everybody for watching this episode of Collider Mailbag on this lovely Sunday morning. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen and to watch us. Uh, I want to thank Haley for stopping by. Thank you for having me. It was oh, a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And we didn't do any sparring. We were on the same page really? today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's always good sometimes. Next time. next time, we'll pick yeah. more combative questions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, tell me where people find you and all the stuff you do. Yeah, absolutely. You can, as he said, I'm always on Collider.com. Mm-hmm. Pretty much got new stuff every day if you like to read. I am on Twitter, which I am less active on, <laughs> at Haley Fouch. And I'm on Instagram at Haystack McGroovy. There you go. You can always find me at the Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram as well. And definitely read her work. Haley does great work. You should definitely... And you'll learn a lot. You'll learn a lot about film by reading how she breaks things down. And she's never shy with her opinion, which is <laughs> always great uh, for me personally. All right. And uh, remember, uh, next time, send those questions in. We put the calls out on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. Look for that uh, Collider Mailbag logo and then put hashtag Collider Mailbag in your questions so I can find them a lot easier or email us at mailbag at collider.com so I can pick them out. All right, have yourselves a great Sunday. We'll see you next week for two more episodes of Collider Mailbag. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. 
you know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Orangutans. They're beautiful, playful, and majestic, and disappearing. Every day, as many as 20 orangutans vanish. They starve to death when their homes are destroyed or are killed when they stray into villages in search of food. International Animal Rescue is fighting for the survival of the critically endangered orangutan. But we can't do it without you. Please visit internationalanimalrescue.org and help us save orangutans before it's too late. That's internationalanimalrescue.org.